0: I grew up on a farm, and my mother wouldn't allow us in the kitchen. The only thing that I was actually able to do was make pizza. You can imagine that. She wouldn't make pizza for me. So we used to buy those. uh, It was actually craft kits, and it was pretty easy to make. But when I got married, I was pretty well useless to my wife, Pat. And very early on in our marriage, one of my classmates was getting married. And there was going to be a little celebration a meal at 5 o'clock, one afternoon, a weekday afternoon. And I forgot to tell Pat about it until that morning. So she said, well, I guess you're on bringing some food to participate in that meal. So she gave me a recipe for quick and easy, uh, it was actually fudge squares. And you can't mess this up. So I'm going through, everything seemed to be right, and then I got to this thing. It was a written um, menu or uh, recipe, and it said 1 TBP. So I thought that was 1 tablespoon, and then it was followed by salt and nuts, but it was 1 teaspoon. Of baking powder, I realized later, and then a little bit of salt and a little bit of nuts. So this had no baking powder, so they didn't rise. And then uh, very salty, and many more nuts than were supposed to be in there. But I was asked to do something that I just wasn't capable of doing. And every once in a while, we're asked to do something, or maybe told to do something, And it's just not what we want to do. Sometimes we're asked to do something that's so far out of our comfort zone that it just isn't going to happen. So Jonah is a prophet of God in Israel. And that's a pretty comfortable place to preach and teach because you have the authority of God behind you. It's recognized, it's appreciated, and it's accepted. But God is going to call him to preach in another location. He is going to call him, as we see in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is how it begins. The Lord spoke his word to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Now we don't know how the word of the Lord came. We don't know if it was in a burning bush type of thing that Moses experienced. We don't know if it was a thundering voice but we just know that God spoke. And he said, and preach against it, because I see the evil things they do. So God is very clear here. He says, here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. So what do you do when God says, here's where I want you to go, but it's not where you want to go? What do you do when God says, here's what I want you to do, and it's not what you want to do? When do you... What do you do when God commands are actually contrary to what you feel like doing? Most of us have been in a situation like this before. Some of you may be in it right now. God has spoken very clearly, and you just don't want to hear it. So Jonah, he's got no interest in this assignment. This wasn't a message he wanted to receive from God. Nineveh is, at that time, the capital city of Assyria. And in this text, God refers to it as a great city. But it's not great because it's wonderful. It's great because it's powerful and violent. Assyria was actually a feared world power in the 7th and 8th centuries BC. And they were known for not just capturing a nation, but they were known for practicing genocide. They would wipe the nation out. And some of the carvings that we see from that period depict people being tortured, being impaled on stakes, and then people wearing necklaces of basically skulls around their neck. So Assyria is not a tourist hotspot. This is not where Jonah would choose to go if it were up to him. But God says, this is where I want you to go. So Jonah doesn't want to go. And Nahum chapter 3 speaks a little bit of Nineveh. It says, What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies? She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. There are countless casualties, heaps of bodies, so many bodies that people stumble over them. So no wonder Jonah doesn't want this assignment. And to better understand this, imagine God sending a Jewish person into Nazi Germany in 1940 with the goal to actually preach against Nazism. And you start to get a feel for what God was asking of this prophet. But the problem is that God spoke clearly. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to do. Now there are moments in our life when we actually want to know what God's will is, and we basically ask, God, would you just make this clear to me? Uh, I need some type of sign here. And then there will oftentimes be frustration if there isn't a burning bush that appears before us, or if we don't get the thundering voice, or we'll settle for maybe a shooting star or some lucky charm that we find. We just need to know if this is what God would want us to do. But the reality is there are many areas in our lives where God has spoken. He has clearly said, this is what I want, and we don't listen. Or he has said, this is where I want you to go, and we we just don't want to go there. So we have a tendency to hear what we want to hear and to not hear what we don't want to hear. And parents understand this because we see it in our kids. And we usually refer to it as selective hearing. And there's actually a clinical term. It's selective auditory attention disorder. And it doesn't say if there's any medication for it or not. I'll have to ask some of the doctors in our church. But we see this especially in children, and it's this tendency to hear what we want to hear and not hear what excuse me, and not hear what we don't want to hear. So you say to your child who's watching TV, or maybe they have their iPad in front of them, and you say, please empty the dishwasher. And they don't even bat an eye. There's no movement. And you know that you've spoken loud enough. They heard you. So then this is what you try. In in a, a softer voice, you say, do you want some ice cream? And then they go, what what did you say? Empty the dishwasher. You have to take advantage over every disorder that your child has. So we have this ability to practice selective hearing when it comes to some commands that God has made clear. Fortunately, I don't have my wife glaring at me like she was in the first service, because I apparently have that at home myself, that selective auditory attention disorder. So we, uh, God has made certain things clear. He has said some things that we don't want to hear, so we don't hear them. And that's why when Jesus was teaching, he would sometimes say, He who has an ear, listen. Because he knew there were people within earshot, they were listening, but they weren't really hearing what he would say to them. And I can't help but wonder how many times God has spoken into each of our lives and we just weren't listening because we, hadn't, we were practicing selective hearing. Another thing we sometimes do is we redefine God's commands as suggestions. God says, go to Nineveh, and we treat God like he's a travel agent, giving a suggested location. Well, if you want to go to Nineveh, you should Try there. I hear it's nice this time of year. But that's not what's happening here, is it? God isn't making a suggestion. He's giving a command. But we have a tendency to do what is true of human nature, and that is we take God's commands and we interpret them as suggestions. And when they aren't suggestions, they're actually commands. A pastor by the name of Larry Osborne said, Many of us treat God like a personal consultant rather than the Lord of our lives. Now a consultant is someone that you actually go to, you highly value their wisdom, you listen to it, but at the end of the day, we make the final decision. That's why we call them consultants. But here's the problem. God doesn't do consulting. He never has and he never will. And if we set up a meeting whereby we want God to come and do some consulting, we know that he's going to not show up at that meeting. See, there are too many times when we treat God this way. We look at God's word as if it is basically just advice, some helpful tips for living, some suggestions we might consider. This isn't the way that God works. So when we become Christians, we are saying, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And Lord means you are now in charge of my life. So my job isn't to like what he says, it's to do what he says. My job is to look at the Bible word such as servant or slave and realize that's what we are. We don't have any rights of our own. We are obedient to our master. But the test comes when God says, go to Nineveh, and it's not where you want to go. God says, I want you to do this, and you don't want to do this. God says, I want you to serve these people. But you think, but they're not the people that I want to serve. God says, give your money. But then you think, I don't want to give my money. Or God says, I want you to forgive this person, and you don't want to forgive that person. That is a test of lordship. So what do you do when God says, go to Nineveh? When the word of the Lord says, here's how you should listen. Here's how you should live. Here's how my will for you in this, here's what my will is for you in this area of your life. So when he says that, how do you respond? It's actually freeing when we finally accept that God's in charge. All you have to do is obey You don't always have to like what he is asking us to do, but we've decided ahead of time that we are going to do what God wants us to do. Back when I was in high school and my friends would invite me to a party or to do something that I didn't want to be involved in, I would say, I need to ask my parents first because I knew that they would say no and it took the pressure off me. There are many times in our lives when Maybe we need a little bit of support like that. So God makes it clear to Jonah. But look at Jonah 1, verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. I don't know why. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He's trying to run away from God. But you can't run away from God. It's impossible. Maybe, maybe if I go fast enough, I'll leave him behind, but we can't outrun him. Or maybe I'll get somewhere and I'll blend in with everybody else and God won't see me. And no, it doesn't work that way either. So Jonah runs away from God and heads to Tarshish. Now we're going to put a map on the screen. And here's Israel and God tells him to go to Nineveh which is actually only about 600 miles north. But he gets in a boat and his destination is Tarshish, which is over in Spain. It's as far away as he could possibly get of the known world at that time. But then you see the squiggly line. That's the, com- the story that's coming a little later of how his trip actually ended up going. But maybe... This is an illustration of your life right now, where God has said, here's what I want from you, and you've gone in the opposite direction. Or God says, I want you to forgive, and you've held on to that bitterness and that anger. Or God has said, I I want you to reach out, but you've just kind of closed yourself off. He says, I want you to confess your sins, but you just kind of keep it to yourself and keep it in the dark. Maybe he has said, I want you to honor your wife and love her sacrificially but you belittle her and are demanding. Or maybe he says, I want you to publicly accept my son as Lord and Savior and be immersed into him, but you aren't willing to make that commitment. God says, here's what I want you to do, and you go in the opposite direction. So what I want you to do is identify in an area in your life where this is true. And just in your own mind, just kind of circle that area. God has called you to do something, and you've not been obedient, and for whatever reason, you've run in a different direction. So, in this series of messages over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the different reasons why we run from God. But we're also going to understand the depths of God's grace to welcome us back in spite of all of that. And today, we're going to see His grace given in the time of fear. Because Jonah's afraid. Nineveh isn't a safe place. And we have a tendency to do this. We say, okay God, what if I do this and it doesn't unfold the way I want it to? God, what if I draw a line? What if I draw a line with my boyfriend and say that things are stopping here and he breaks up with me? What if I reach out to my neighbor and my neighbors reject me? Back when we used to do Christmas caroling and, and go around the neighborhood, the, well my neighbors were in trouble because if they opened the door so they could hear our singing a little better, I had a mental note written down, and then I would go knocking on their doors later to go in and, and try and make a contact for the church. But this one neighbor they went to, as soon as they walked inside, this is what he said to me. Oh, you're here to try and get more people in your church, aren't you? And, whoa, I, I, well, I was, but, but the way he said it, it just kind of threw me back. So you have this moment where you're full of optimism, and then suddenly you think, oh, wait now, maybe this isn't such a good idea. We fear rejection. We fear embarrassment, and we fear discomfort. So what do we do we run away. We refuse to stay there and face our fears. So we avoid the places and the people that make us uncomfortable. But if you look at Tarshish, I only have to say that word a few more times. That is a real tongue twister. It's not just in the opposite direction of Nineveh, if you remember from that map, but it's the opposite kind of city. Tarshish was a military city. It was a place of wealth, a place of comfort, the place where people would go to retire. So it would be like Florida to the people here, which made the sea so stormy that the ship was in danger of breaking apart. The sailors were afraid, and each man cried to his own God. They began throwing the cargo from the ship into the sea to make the ship lighter. So he's running from God, And God chases him, and then he finds himself in the midst of this violent storm. And theologians actually call this the act of wrath or the act of discipline of God. It's where God sends a storm to basically get our attention and turn us around, wake us up, whatever term we want to use. Now sometimes we experience God's passive wrath, And that's where he allows us to just experience some of the consequences of our own decisions. But either way, you eventually find yourself in a storm when you run from God. And and that's true for Jonah. But in the midst of this great storm, Jonah has gone down below deck. And he lays down and he falls into a deep sleep. And the captain can't believe that Jonah is so relaxed that he is able to sleep. So he goes down, and he shakes him up, and he says, how can you sleep? And don't miss this part, because this is a pagan captain, and he said, wake up and cry out to God to save you. So he's saying, call upon your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us, so that we won't die here at sea. Isn't that incredible? He believes in some other type of God, yet he understands the Lord God, and he said, call on him so that he'll take notice and we won't die here at sea. Now, I know some of you have run from God, and right now there's a storm. Some of the people around you see it, but maybe you don't see it. You're sleeping through it, and somebody just needs to shake you and say, wake up and cry out to God to save you. And here's the third thing about your storm. It's not just affecting you, it's affecting the people around you. And that's true for Jonah. Because the sailors, they're throwing everything they have overboard. They're trying to lighten the ship so that they can stay above water. And, but Jonah, he just is no concern whatsoever. They're scared, but he's not. So he's in a storm, but other people are living it. And it's your storm because you are running from God in this area of your life. But I'm just telling you that you may not see it, or you might be sleeping through it, but there are other people that are living through your storm. Some of you know what it's like because you grew up in a home like this, where it was somebody else's storm. Maybe your mom was a closet alcoholic, and you missed out on something called a childhood. Maybe uh, your parents divorced, and there was a lot of anger. And to this day, you have trouble trusting someone with your heart. You're in somebody else's storm. See, there's a two-word sermon that some of you need, and that's wake up, because running from God isn't working for you. Maybe it's my voice that will do it, that you'll hear it. Or maybe it's a friend's voice that you'll hear. Maybe it will be a spouse's voice that you hear. Maybe a child saying to you, mom, dad, wake up. But you're running from God and he has put you in a storm and your storm isn't just affecting you. It's affecting the people around you. So it's time to get up. So the captain comes down to wake Jonah, and Jonah seems to have no... Actually, he seems to have some awareness of what's happening and what it's costing him. Because in verse 9, he said, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So Jonah has this moment of recognition where he sees the futility of taking a ship to run away from the God who actually made the sea. Not such a great strategy. And the the sailors, they're terrified. And they ask what they should do to calm the storm. So now we're in verse 12. And Jonah said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then it will calm down. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come on you. Instead, the men tried to row the ship back to land But they could not, because the sea was becoming more stormy. So the men cried to the Lord, Lord, please don't let us die because of this man's life. Please don't think we are guilty of killing an innocent person. Lord, you have caused all this to happen. You wanted it this way. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea became calm. Now, this is the part of the story where some of us think we recognize this, and we know this is the story of Jonah and the whale. We heard it as a kid. We're a little fuzzy on the details, but more than anything else, we are we're, we're just think maybe it's starting to sound like a fairy tale at this point. We're with the story all along, God creating the storm and everything, the sailors recognizing that the cause is... Jonah, Jonah recognizing that. But then we get to this point where he's swallowed by a whale. And people have an issue with that. But let's look at what the Bible says. Jonah one seventeen. Now the Lord has arranged, so he specially provided. And, and what is it? Is it a whale? Actually, no, for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So God especially provides a great fish for this task. It doesn't say that it was a whale. And some people will say, oh, come on. I just can't believe that. A fish swallowing a man and that man being inside that fish for three days. You know, something on many levels, I find that to be an arrogant statement. Because human beings can create a submarine that would actually house hundreds of people and they can live under the sea for weeks and months at a time. But God creating a special fish to swallow a man to house that man for three days, uh, no, I can't buy that. That's actually an arrogant statement. So we read that God sends this special fish to swallow Jonah. And we'll read more about that In chapter 2 next week but here is what I want you to catch fear causes us to run away from God and when we run away from God it is actually worse than anything we experienced initially so remember it's better to be in Nineveh with God than it is to be in Tarshish without him so we run and God chases Uh, there's a poem by Francis Thompson And he actually used some imagery to capture this idea. And he said he had a pretty troubled life. He had health problems. He had a lot of financial issues. He was addicted to opium. And he said, "I, I just made a lot of bad decisions. And he looked at the turmoil in his life, and he kept expecting to find that at some point along the way, God had turned his back on him. But he said, even through my deepest hardships, Every time I I just stopped long enough, I could sense God's presence, that God was coming after me because he wanted to rescue me from myself. So he wrote a poem called Hound of Heaven, and it was actually to describe the God who chases. And he said, I fled down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind, and in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And when he would stop long enough, he would hear the footsteps behind him. And not running, but just the unhurried pace of a patient hunter. It was God relentlessly tracking him, refusing to let go. You may be running from God right now. Maybe you were never in relationship with him to begin with but he's tracking you. And maybe you are in a relationship with him and you're just kind of slipping away a little bit and you need to get that relationship straightened out. And if you just slow down, you will hear those patient steps of God coming after you, patiently hunting you. That's the message of the gospel. We run, God chases. We sin, God's grace comes after us. So let's just stop long enough and let him catch us. If you need to let God catch you, please speak to me about that. Speak to James Stevenson, our associate pastor. If you have a decision to make, speak to us, please.